Well, to kind of transition us in, um, you know, because Billy and I up here kind of having bro time, uh, you know, I, I feel like we should take just a minute to try to prepare our hearts um, for the, the preaching and the teaching of the word. And so if you would let me pray, uh, I am going to pray in Spanish. Um, as Ian was saying, you probably don't realize this because in, in the American culture, we tend to think that the world centers around us as Westerners. Um, but the most, you know, this morning, for example, God will receive more worship and more prayer and praise in the Spanish language than any other language in the world. There are more Spanish-speaking Christians today than any other language group in the world. That 77% of the evangelicals in the world today live in what we call the global south, Latin America, Africa, and Asia, right? And 47% of the missionaries being sent to the nations today are coming from that same region. And so God is doing an incredible work. And just to put that into perspective, about 100 years ago, only 8% of the world's Christians lived in that region, and today it's 77%. God is advancing his kingdom to the unreached, unengaged people groups, and they are becoming no longer a mission field, but a mission force. And so that's pretty incredible to think about. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right into our text, okay? Eh, Padre Celestial, nosotros estamos agradecidos que podemos eh, tomar un par de, de minutos para reconocer que somos inútiles a uh, hacer algo que te agrada, algo que te glorifique. Si tú no mora dentro de nosotros, si no, no, tú no derrama tu Espíritu Santo en este momento para que nosotros podamos eh, recibir tu palabra. Pre prepara nuestros corazones, Señor, para que nosotros podamos recibir la palabra, pero no solamente recibirlo, Señor, pero que podamos ponerlo en práctica, que podemos tomar la, la palabra de Dios y ponerla en práctica eh, cuando salimos de esta iglesia, Señor. Te pido, Señor, que tú me ayudes a comunicar bien, que las palabras que yo predico sea para edificar tu novia, Señor. Y te pido eso en el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amen. All right, and that's universal as you probably picked up on. You know, I'm speaking in a lot of churches, and sometimes when I pray in Spanish, I always tell the people, like, I am speaking in Spanish because depending on the context of where I go, sometimes people think I'm, like, speaking in tongues, you know, and that could, like, really get you kicked out of certain churches, and so that was Spanish just for your information. All right, here we go. Two weeks from now, we celebrate Easter. Pastor Billy has already talked about it. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. It is, as Paul said, if Christ Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we above all people are most to be pitied. Luke, in his second book, the book of Acts, says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days on this earth. And through many signs, he, he affirmed his suffering. And it says that he talked and taught the disciples, during those 40 days, many things about the kingdom. Now, if you're a good student of the word and you go to your Bible and Luke says, hey, Jesus taught many things about the kingdom during that 40-day span, you probably would become curious, okay, what did he talk about? What were the things that Jesus taught during that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension? And as you begin to... to peruse through the Gospels, what you discover is we only have two topics recorded in the Scripture that Jesus taught after the resurrection. Two things that Jesus spoke about. One was the resurrection. 
Jesus taught about the resurrection after the resurrection. But the second thing, and only two things, the second thing that Jesus repeated during the 40 days was what we call the Great Commission. He taught about the resurrection, and he taught about the Great Commission. Now, when we think Great Commission, we tend to go to Matthew 28. But there's actually five Great Commission statements recorded in our New Testament. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I will send you. Okay? Luke 24 says that this message of forgiveness must be proclaimed in all of the world. It says in Mark 16 that we should preach the gospel to every creation. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you know, you will receive power. You'll be my witness, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What, where will you be a witness? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Five statements in different contexts where Jesus says basically this. If the resurrection happened, if the resurrection happened, it should propel you to proclaim it. If the God-man got up out of the grave, you should talk about it. And the disciples, they still didn't get it, right? Because the disciples in Acts chapter 1, they're going, okay, you just got up out of the grave. Now is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like now you're going to kick Rome out. You're going to put your throne here in Israel. You're going to rebuild the temple. Now, Jesus, you will establish your kingdom on earth. And Jesus goes, you still don't get it, guys. You still don't understand. This book that you hold in your hand today, this message from Genesis to Revelation, is about a mission bigger than Israel. It's bigger than a people called the Jews. This Messiah did not come simply to establish a kingdom within the borders of Palestine. He came to restore an entire created order. And he entrusted to us the church with the text and the mission to make that known. If the resurrection is true, then we have a mission to complete. Now, many of us, when you hear a missionary like me talk about the Great Commission, you're like, hey, Craig, I'm not moving to the Dominican Republic. I'm not moving to India. God has not called me to do that. And, and I, I could spend most of my time up here trying to convince you to sell all of your possessions to buy a one-way plane ticket to tell your family goodbye and take this message that Jesus has entrusted to us. And by the way, the Great Commission is for all Christians. It is to the church. Lest you think, let me just have a little ADD rabbit trail for just a second, a little parenthetical statement. The church exists for the mission. There's coming a day, there's coming a day when the church will be transferred into the larger kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is established here. But for this moment, for this season, God has a church for his mission. We exist for the mission. And every believer is called to participate in that. And so instead of talking this morning, because I don't have a ton of time, Instead of talking about trying to convince you to go, I want to talk to you about 
God has called the majority of people to participate in the Great Commission by being a part of a local church that sends and supports missionaries. The majority of you have been set apart by God to be senders and supporters. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, says this, that Christians, every Christian has three options when it comes to the Great Commission. You can be a goer, you can be a sender, or you can be disobedient. You can be a goer, you can be a sender, or you can be disobedient. And I know that Billy has done an exceptional job here teaching you not to be disobedient, so you must decide, are you a goer or are you a sender and supporter? So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to 1 John, or excuse me, 3 John, and we're going to read the first eight verses in just a minute. But I want you to go ahead and be flipping, flipping there. And while you're flipping, I want to just try to establish the context here and justify my argument that the majority of you are to participate in the Great Commission by being senders and supporters. Okay, first of all, when the Gentile missionary movement took place, right, when the gospel explodes outside of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and it begins to go to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are gathered together at the church of Antioch, right? And they're worshiping, they're praying together, they're fasting. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit spoke to the church. You see, it all starts with the church. The Holy Spirit spoke to the church and he says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have for them, right? And then the church of Antioch, Syria, laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out. And after that missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas returned back to the church of Antioch to report all that God had done among the Gentiles. And the church of Antioch, was they were participants in the Paul and Barnabas missionary journey because they sent them out and they encouraged them and they loved on them when they returned. Paul in Romans, we think of Romans, I'm a theology nerd, right? And, and we think of Romans as this like great theological discourse, but in reality, Romans is a missionary letter. Romans is a missionary support letter. Paul has wrapped up his third missionary journey, and he's wanting to go to Spain. So he sends this letter to the church of Rome. And, and a lot of missionaries like myself, when they go speak to American churches, they want to say, hey, all of you should go on mission. All of you should go to the nations. But that's not what Paul says in Rome. Paul tells the church in Rome, he says, I'm on my way to Spain, and I hope that when I come by your church, I will come with joy and be encouraged by my time with you. Paul's not asking the church in Rome for everybody to go with him to Spain. He's saying, God's called me to obey the Great Commission by being a goer to Spain. But he's asking the church of Rome to be a co-laborer with him on his mission to Spain by encouraging him and supporting him. The point is, Missionaries are not set apart by the Holy Spirit to be lone rangers on the mission field. Behind every individual missionary is an army of senders and supporters making it possible for them to do what God has called them to do. And the majority of you have been called to participate in missions that way. But how? 
What does that look like practically? And I want to be a Bible guy. The reason that Billy and I hit it off is because Billy's a Bible guy. Billy, the exposition of Scripture happens here on this platform weekend and week out, and it is through the Word. The Bible says you have been born again because of the Word of God. The power is here. And so if we're Bible people, what does the Bible teach us about being senders and supporters? So first, or third John, third John, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers, so we've identified a, a group of people, the brothers, came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And you all know this verse, especially if you're a parent. If you're a parent, you know this verse. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now let's just pause right there before we continue reading. I have four kids. And we quote this verse about our children all the time. I imagine you've done the same. Oh, I have no, you know, a kid comes to know the Lord, and the parents will always say, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. And that's good. But context is key. What is this truth that John has heard that Gaius walks in? What is it? He's saying, I have no greater joy. There is nothing that fills my heart with, that stimulates me to worship and to praise more than hearing this truth that Gaius walks in. What is it? What fills John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved? What fills him with joy? Verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts... So you see there's a commitment. You've got to do something. There's an effort. You've got to get up and do something in all of your efforts for these brothers. So now he's identified them again. He's talking about these brothers. Who are these brothers? Well, they're strangers to Gaius. Gaius doesn't know them. These brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You see what's happened? John is in Ephesus. John... In his church in Ephesus, which, by the way, is the place that Paul spent more time than any other place in, in his missionary journeys. He spent three years in Ephesus teaching daily in Ephesus. And in Acts 19, the Bible says that when Paul finished in Ephesus, all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord. How was that possible? Because in the church of Ephesus, they were sending out preachers and missionaries to go to the nations. Paul never went to Colossae. But Epaphras left Ephesus and planted the church in Colossae. And here John is saying, we have sent men out from the church of Ephesus. And they arrived in the community of Gaius as strangers. Gaius didn't know who they were, but Gaius knew they'd been sent by the church. And what did he do? You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out. You see, there's that sending. They've been sent out by the church for the sake of the name. They've been sent out from the church of Ephesus for the sake of the name, for the gospel, for the glory of God. 
accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now that means not Gentiles, believers, but that, that's synonymous with non-believers. God is not funding his mission with secular dollars. God is funding his mission through the church. Therefore, we ought, you hear that consternation there? We ought, we should do something. We ought to support people like these. Who? These missionaries that have been sent out. That, and here's the, here's the promise. That we may be fellow workers with them. You may never step foot in the Dominican Republic. But listen, let me, let me just paint this picture for you. You may never go to India, but City Church has supported a church in the Dominican Republic that is discipling a young man and his wife who are preparing to go to India, and you are co-laborers with the work that will happen in North India because you sent them out. You supported in a manner worthy of God. You're a co-laborer. For me, that's absolutely insane. So very quickly, because I'm out of time and we haven't made it to the points yet. How can you, how can you be a co-laborer in a manner worthy of God? You see, that, there's, there's a couple things here that are key to the text. The truth that Gaius walks in is sending and supporting missionaries not with their leftovers, but to be a co-laborer, to be walking in that truth, you must do it in a way, in a manner worthy of God. The first way you can do that, and missionaries always talk about money. I'm sorry, I feel very uncomfortable, but the text, the text dictates that I do this. Be a generous giver. Give generously to the mission. I recently read that the average U.S. Christian, the average U.S. Christian gives $1 for every $10,000 earned to foreign missions. The average Christian gives $1. Billy had to, I, I was fascinated. Yesterday we, we had to stop and get air in the tires. And I look and there's this little thing. I'm like, you have to pay for that? It was $2 for air. And we're given $1 for every $10,000 earned for the gospel. That's not a manner worthy of God. If you want to know what your priorities are, City Church, check your checkbook and check your calendar. Where you spend your time, where you spend your treasure, there is your heart's desires. And lest you think that you have to be wealthy, lest you think you have to have the world's goods to be a generous giver, you do not have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. It's not the amount that you give. It is are you giving in a manner worthy of God. Be a generous giver. He says we should support them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that pre uh, preachers and missionaries should live by the gospel. We should live by the gospel. He says to Titus that we should do so, we should, be, uh, we should support missionaries and pastors so that they lack nothing. Give generously. Number two. I'm moving through these really quick because I'm out of time. Number two. Abide in Christ and in his word. If you want to be a faithful goer or a faithful sender and supporter, it all starts in the scripture. 
You got to know Jesus and you got to know your word. You see, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. I get excited about a lot of things, but I did not wake up this morning excited about the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not get me out of bed in the morning. The Great Commission does not sustain me on the mission field. I wake up because, and I think the Great Commandment, I want to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I got to love God. I got to set my affections on the person of Jesus through the word as it's been revealed. And as I set my affections on Jesus, I'm supposed to love others. And the way that we love others on this side of eternity is through the Great Commission. You see, the Great Commission is temporary. When Jesus comes back, no more Great Commission. So if I live my life dedicated to the Great Commission, I'm going to be disappointed when Jesus comes back. I'm going to be like, well, now what do I do? But if my heart's desire is the Great Commandment, and the Great Commandment is eternal, and that's what I was created to do. When the Great Commission is over, I will redirect my focus to the fellowship of the saints in the new creation. You got to know the word, you got to love the word, you got to obey the word, you got to share the word. And I'll skip some of these. Obviously, you need to pray for us. Number three, you need to pray. Pray strategically, pray the scripture, pray for bold witness, pray for comfort, pray for rapid spread of the gospel, pray for encouragement, pray for spiritual warfare. I was telling uh, Pastor Billy last night, you know, I had a man put a knife to my throat one night, and he says, Craig, I'm going, I've got a voice in my, my, my mind telling me to slit your throat, go to your house, kill your children, rape your wife, and I'm just, that's what I want to do. And he says, but i got another voice in my mind telling me I can't touch you, and I'm going, listen to the other voice, all right? And, 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 he, and he ended up walking away. But what I'm telling you is, we face those encounters, pray for us. Pray for your missionaries. Paul says, I'm in chains, but pray that my witness will be bold. Go on short-term mission trips, but make them strategic mission trips. God captured my heart on a trip. Maybe he'll capture yours. The future missionary force is currently missionary senders and supporters. And then finally... Make disciples here. If you're not engaging your circle of influence with the gospel here, in your language and in your culture, you're not going to go down to Hartsfield-Jackson, get on an airplane, and stick a seatbelt on and miraculously be transformed into an evangelist and a disciple maker. It won't happen. Be faithful to the Great Commission here so that you can be faithful to the Great Commission there. God calls the prepared in the local churches to go. Some of you have been called to go. So my challenge to you as we wrap up, I believe some of you one day will be sent out, raised up and sent out from City Church. That is my prayer. I believe it will happen. But in the meantime, consider your role. How is God speaking to you so that you can be like Gaius and be a co-laborer in the Great Commission in a manner worthy of God? And we could go through a 10 to 15 other things that you could do, but that's a starting point. Be generous.
Abide in the word. Know the word. Love God. Love others. Pray for missionaries strategically. Make disciples. Engage lostness in your circle of influence. And say to God, here I am. Use me for your glory and for your kingdom. God has a mission. And God has a church for his mission. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word, for your truth, for the gospel, and for the privilege to participate with you and with your people for your renown. That the the fame of Jesus is infinitely worth every sacrifice that we make. That every sacrifice is honored by you for your glory and the joy of your people. Use it, Father, for your redemptive purposes in our life and in the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.